and maybe this is a little bit more conservative. Maybe this is just me thinking of the chaos that is the tournament. I think Gonzaga, I could think Gonzaga reaches the Elite Eight, and that is where the run ends. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer. It's great having you back as we're set to do, as I'm set to do the third of our, of my preseason team, team wrap-ups, team, team previews. And as we start to go through this, we've already talked about majority of uh, the conference schools and everything else. And this week we'll go into the last of the, this last segment of WCC teams, Portland, Gonzaga, and then also Pacific. And we'll and I'll also get into uh, some some players I think are going to have an opportunity to be breakout stars this season, and we'll get get into that in in a bit. So if you if you've missed it and haven't seen some of the episodes, we've or, I've already kind of done the previews for for others. Like week two weeks ago, we did St. Mary's, Santa Clara, LMU, and. And Pepperdine last week was BYU, USF, and and I keep bl- <laughs> and blanking on. He's like uh, San Diego, BYU, USF, and this week will be Gonzaga, Portland, and and Pacific. So if you haven't checked out those episodes, please I encourage you to go back listen to those uh, when you have time, and and then also then come back if you do that, and then listen to what we what I end up talking about Gonzaga Portland and Pacific all right so let's and we'll start right there and we're going to dive into the shocker of last year the the surprise team of a year ago Portland this was a team last year that went 19 and 15 they finished sixth in the WCC and you can't talk about this team without the context of what they had been just two seasons ago. This was a team, this was a program that was, and there's no way around this. They were awful. They won, they won all of three conference games the last three, three seasons before this past one. This was a team that was just seemed to get worse and worse and worse under Terry Porter. And this team needed a huge facelift. This team needed to find a new identity to really kind of like get out of the dreg where they had been the last, the past four or five seasons. And then they brought, and they brought in Shante Leggins to be the new head coach. He immediately brought in a slew of guys that he had at Eastern Washington, where he had just, just reached the NCAA tournament with the Eagles. And had, and in the preseason, it started to look, there was some promise. Like they're starting to put it together. They were starting to look, there were a lot of early growing pains because again, you had a lot of new pieces on this team. I believe it was like 11, 12 new players were on the roster. So new head coach, new roster, new team, everything was new at Portland last year. And then they had, and then they got hit with COVID right around the new year going into the first week of conference play 
And that kind of derailed some of that momentum, slowed them down a bit. And then once they started, once they came out of it, once they started to really put pieces together and it all, it all started to come together late in conference play. This was a team that was still right down there, like at the eight, nine spot, and then went, finished up the conference play on a, they went six and one down the stretch in WCC play. They have a huge win over USF. Kind of like the, the, it, it was the shocker of the WCC schedule. I feel Again, this is a Portland team that for years and years had been had been at the very bottom of the league and they were almost an automatic W you could put on your schedule. And last year, that was no longer the case. Last year, Portland became a team you had to pay attention to. Portland became a team that you knew was going to only get better. And this year, we're kind of looking at that. And I think one a number of components kind of go into this year. They were sixth last year, so still bottom half of the league. And they finished only a half a game out of fifth. So there's a lot of op- a lot of optimism, a lot of talk about moving even further up the up the ranks here in the WCC, which I think Portland has the capability of doing. But one of the things also to keep in mind is now there are expectations. Now, no one will be overlooking Portland going into the season, where they might have at the beginning of last year. And a lot of the reasons for that optimism, a lot of the reasons for why they think, despite the fact that that there's going to be more expectations, that there's not going to be this lull of, there's not going to be this this overlooking of Portland anymore. They bring almost everyone back, and that's a huge lift for this team. You bring back guys like Mike Meadows, Tyler Robertson. You bring back Moses Wood. You bring back Christian Siolan. Once he returns from injury, you'll be bringing back Chris Austin. You have a lot of pieces on this squad who are going to be back and really be able to help this team kind of take that next step in the WCC. I'm talking about that, that trio of – Meadows, Robertson, and Wood, who will be starting the season off. These three, it, it the scoring, the scoring jolt for the pilots, and we saw it last year, could come from anywhere. It could come from Mike Meadows. It could come from Moses Wood, who had a great run down the stretch. It could come from Tyler Robertson, who had who recorded the WCC's first triple double in a long time. I believe that was. Uh, Kyle Collinsworth, who was the last one to record a triple-double. And then they bring in some key pieces where some of the challenges that Portland had a year ago was they weren't very big. They weren't very, they weren't a tall team. They weren't a big team. And so they went out, and so Sante Liggins went out and looked to try to remedy some of that in the off season. And the one that everyone's been pointing to this off season, a big component of what we're going to see from Portland is Joey St. Pierre, uh, the Milwaukee transfers coming in and he's going to be able to kind of provide that big body in the middle, a six, 
uh, 6.3 points per game last year, 5.7 rebounds. It's a large body that's going to be able to help them on the defensive end, especially because this is where like Portland really struggled. They struggled with the the size of some of the other WCC teams, like the St. Mary's, the Gonzagas, uh, the Santa Clara's. Like these were big teams who could who could really punish you inside. And so this was an area where Portland we knew could improve. And then the other one was really just depth. This was a team that really only was playing about seven players in rotation last season, just because of how new the system was. And there was really just an emphasis on running with the guys that uh, could be more consistent uh, more quickly. So another one of the guys who's coming in who could, is going to be able to provide some punch off the bench is Vukasin uh, Masik, who's coming in from Maine. Now, six five guard, nine point three points, four uh, four rebounds a game, eighty five percent free throw shooter. This is one something Portland did really well last year was get to the line, and they were the best free throw shooting team in the league. And that really helps when you also then have your top seven scorers coming back. Portland is an exciting team. Portland is a team I think is that's going to be right there in the mix with all of these teams as we've kind of talked about over the last month or so three through nine in this conference is really up for grabs there is no consensus it seems where any of these teams are going to finish because they are so close between byu usf santa clara portland pepperdine san diego even lmu i think is going to get back into this conversation And any one of these teams could end up finishing in any one of those spots. And Portland is going to be amongst that list. And they're going to be tested early in the non-conference. Now, I will say, like, their non-conference isn't, like, it doesn't scream wow on the overall spectrum, on the overall scope of it. But one tournament is going to tell us a lot about Portland, I think, early on. And that is the PK-85. Portland will be playing in the PK-85, the Phil Knight Invitational, in mid-November. And they started off <laughs> They started off with who many believe is maybe the best team in the country, is a, the preseason number one overall, North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to see Port- what Portland can do right away. Obviously, I don't think anyone's expecting Portland to to win the win that game, but it's going to provide them probably great opportunity, great exposure to kind of see what they're capable of doing. This is a confident, confident group, this Portland group. And at media day, uh, Tyler Robertson and all the Portland players, I've kind of said this and that one of their, that they're not satisfied that they are focused on continuing to improve because while in, in the grand scope of things, the improvement from 10th to 6th is a great accomplishment for Portland. A lot of those guys are coming from programs where they're used to being first. And so they kind of took the uh, the, the Ricky Bobby mantra of like, if you're not first, you're last. And so this is this is a confident group. They are a driven group. 
I think we're going to learn a lot about them in that North Carolina game. Even again, even if they don't win, I think there's let's it's going to be focused on their their competitiveness. Whether they you start to see their heads go down, you start if they're able to kind of bounce back when when Carolina could go on runs or whatnot. How can they really kind of like manage the, manage the environment that they're going to see at the Rose Garden against Carolina? And and. Also on that side of the bracket, they're going to get either Iowa State or Villanova. Again, in either case, this is going to be a great experience for Portland uh, going into the rest of their non-conference and then also into WCC play. On the other side of the bracket, again, depending on how all this shakes out, the other half of the bracket is UConn, Oregon, Alabama, and Michigan State. So Portland will end up playing one of those teams at some point during during that tournament, during that Thanksgiving Day weekend. So it'll be ex- exciting to see. And again, this is going to be a huge test for Portland, a huge test to see kind of where are they now? We saw where they were a year ago, nearly a 21 team after being after being so bad the year before and the years before. And it's can they, can this team build off of what it did a year ago i'm very i'm i'm confident that this team will be able to build off of what they did a year ago and they're going to at least get some games and be tested at least early on they do have a couple of road games uh the week before they start they start the phil knight invitational they'll be at kent state they'll be at air force and later on they will end up playing oregon so they could theoretically they could end up playing oregon twice uh, in the preseason because they will they are on the other side of the bracket in the PK Invitational but they also have they're going to be in Eugene on December 17th and that will be just one week before the start of conference play as, as we start to get ready and and they started off with LMU and, and here's the other thing for Portland as far as the schedule goes Portland did finish in 6 Portland was 7-7 seven and seven at the end of end of the season. Port, because Portland wasn't last, keep in mind the way the schedule breaks out in the WCC is that there are certain teams you only play once. Portland only played Gonzaga once and only played BYU once, which means that they will see both of them twice this coming season. And this is going to be one of the, excuse me, they, they only play BYU. They, they're only going to play BYU once. They will say St. Mary's twice this season. And that's going to be a big change for how they navigate this, this non-conference. And even looking at the first wave, the first couple of weeks of conference play, this is going to be a huge opportunity for Portland to see if they can bounce back because, Week one, they're week one of WCC play. They're at BYU. Week two, they have both St. Mary's and San Francisco. And then week three, they have Gonzaga. They're at Gonzaga. They are going to get tested and they may get beat up early. How they are able to manage that and weather the storm that is going to be those first few weeks is go- also going to be a telling sign for the rest of conference play as we get deeper into January, February, and then into March. Okay, so now where do I think Portland's gonna 
where do they fall? Where is Portland going to be? Portland, I think, does has a higher range than most of the other teams in this this mid-tier window. I think Portland's ceiling is probably in the third spot, and there's and their floor is probably right where they were this past year at six. Where do I think Portland will end up? I think Portland is probably destined for my prediction would be fourth place. I think that is where they where they will be. They were just a half game behind BYU a year ago. I think Portland's now better than they were a year ago. I think Santa Clara is going to take a step back. I, I'm not a huge step back, but I do think that they are going to take a step back. Obviously, when you lose a guy like Jalen Williams, that's going to have an impact. You don't have another NBA guy on that roster. And then taking a look at USF, who I who I still think is actually in that third slot. I think USF for now is like that's that would be where I have them. Uh, but Portland's right behind them. Again, these two met head to head last year twice, and they split between the two matchups. USF is not has I think more to prove on the interior this year than they did a year ago. And again, Portland brings back its top seven scorers. I think they're going to be a little deeper than a year ago. They ha- they've added some size. So we'll see how this all goes. But I think that's Portland is probably sitting in that fourth slot when we when we reach when we reach Vegas. Which also means they'll have a they will have one of the buys, uh one of the double buys for the NCAA for the for the WCC tournament. Okay, so now we'll transition over to Pacific. Pacific, this is this is a team that also has been in this huge transition year last year. This is going into a year where Damon Stoudemire uh, got an offer, an offer he could not refuse, and took an assistant job with the Boston Celtics. Obviously, the Celtics ended up in the NBA Finals. They're, they look to still be one of the better teams in the NBA this year, potentially getting back there. It was a it was a chance and an opportunity. Obviously, like Damon Sotomayor could not pass up. And he and he was, I thought, pretty successful at Pacific in those five years. Now enter now go into last season, the first year under Leonard Perry. The way last season, the way last offseason just went was. Is t- would have been tough to manage for anyone. It's new head coach. You had a lot of players uh, look to go elsewhere. So there, this was kind of like a a really hodgepodge sort of roster that really was trying to find an identity after uh, Stoudemire left. Now, uh, Leonard Perry what was on the staff, so there was some sort of continuity there. But there, there was going to be some change. There was going to be some turnover. Also, they lost a they they lost a few of the guys who really were key pieces for them the year before. So there was no surprise when Pacific struggled a year ago. They went seven and 22. They were ninth in the WCC. But one of the things of yes, there were 22 losses, but this, they almost stole one at USC in the, in the non-conference. It was almost one of those games, I think, from even from my own point of view. Like when I saw Pacific at USC, I was like, oh, USC will just like 
kicked her teeth in. They were in that game up until the very end. They were in that game with four minutes left to go. Pacific still had a lead that it looked like Pacific might've been able to pull that off. Unfortunately they didn't, but it did show that, that, that Pacific might still have something there. That Pacific could be growing to something. Now we go into this year. Six returners, eight newcomers. You do have three of your top uh, six returning. Uh, uh, Luke Avdalovich comes back. You have Nick Blake come back. And then also Greg Outlaw, who missed a lot of last year with an injury. And Outlaw, I think, is one of the, like, the key components. Last year, he only, he only averaged 5.8 uh, per game last year. But this is a guy who was maybe one of the better shooters overall at 45% from the field. This is a team that did not – this was an offensively challenged team a year ago. They were ninth in points per game. They were 10th in field goal percentage. They were 10th in three-point percentage. They were ninth in rebounding, ninth in rebounding margin. And then the defense wasn't all that great either. They were eighth in opponents' points per game. They were 10th in opponents' three-point percentage. They were 10th in free throws. This is a team that was not – they were just not good a year ago overall. And it didn't seem to matter who the opponent was, that they, that they struggled night in, night out. And yes, they were banged up. Yes, there were a lot of new pieces. So going into this year, offense, rebounding, and three-point D has to be the focus, which is why the likes of having Greg Outlaw come back is such a huge deal. Having him be healthy, having him be ready to go is going to be a big lift for for Pacific. Uh, One of the transfers coming in who I think is going to be really key for them is uh, Jordan Ivey Curry, 6'2 guard out of UT San Antonio, he averaged 13.9 a game last year. So this is someone who's going to be able to give them consistent points and and hopefully be able to kind of like lift this Pacific offense out of kind of the dreg of where they had been. But I will say like the one thing that made Pacific really competitive just a few years ago wasn't necessarily the offense. It was their defense. This when Pacific seemed to be humming, when Pacific seemed to be going well, their identity was this rough, tough defensive team. And that's what made going to going to Stockton, going to the Spano Center so challenging was that you were going you knew you were in for a fight when you played Pacific just a few years ago. And that's where it seemed like they need to kind of get back to that identity. One of the other guys coming in could potentially help on this on this they they bring in a couple of different players from Oklahoma State uh Kalen Boone and Donovan Williams uh Donovan Williams 65 guard Kalen Boone 68 forward to have some versatile pieces that are going to be able to play multiple positions uh for for Pacific this season and that should really help their defense uh Tyler Beard coming in from Georgetown another, another this is uh, 6'2 guard. He's a guy who would also put up some points for for this team in this one season at Georgetown. 
He he only got about 12 minutes per game, but he also had season highs of 23 at Howard. He also had a 15-point game against Butler. Now, yeah, that was not a very good Butler team a year ago, and this was a really bad Georgetown team a year ago. But there's there's space for Pacific to to hopefully kind of climb out of out of this cellar and and they'll also have some early opportunities to kind of see what they can do they'll be at stanford on november 7th uh, that will be i think it's the very first game of the college basketball season so at stanford 11 in the morning which is still so odd to me it's like you gotta have an 11 a.m game okay on a monday uh i don't know how many people are going to be in attendance for that thing but uh, it's going to be a really good test for them. They also later will have Santa Barbara and then also a very good Fresno State team who's going to be heading up to uh, Stockton for that one. And I'd be remiss, like, let me go back and uh, talk a little bit more about Nick Blake, who I think is is also going to be one of the keys for this team. Uh, this is Blake's going to one of those guys who's going to attack the basket. He started 11 games a year ago, played in 28. He was averaging just under nine points a game and had 20-point games against BYU and, and Pepperdine. He was in double figures 12 times a year ago. He had 16 free throw attempts in that Pepperdine game. So Blake is someone who's going to be able to kind of slow this slow, slow the pace down because of how often he's going to get to the free throw line. And again, I think slowing teams down, limiting possessions, and playing that tough defense is going to what is going to be what suits Pacific best this season. Now, all that said, all my trying to be optimistic about what Pacific could do, I don't see the improvements with Pacific that I have seen with the other teams. I don't see I don't see the offensive weapons that are going to be consistent enough to help Pacific climb out the gutter, to help them climb out of that that bottom tier. So my when I'm thinking about where Pacific could end up at the end of the season, where they're going to end up for Vegas. I don't think they change much from where they were a year ago. They were ninth last year. I think that's their ceiling this year. But realistically, I this is a this is the last place team. Pacific is just does not have the talent. They don't, and they have so many holes to fix that I don't know that they're we're going to see that drastic of a change in in this season. I think there's a lot of work to be done. I think that this is a team that is probably in probably a two, three-year rebuild window to try to get back to try to try to find their identity and really get back to where they were just a few years ago. Okay, so now that we've talked about Portland, now that we've talked about Pacific, I think we have to talk about the the team that everyone continues to talk about, not only on whatever slew of other of WCC podcasts or content, 
but everyone across the nation, one of the teams who was on that short list to win a national championship, the team with the best odds in Vegas to win a national championship, that being the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I don't think that you can talk about Gonzaga without talking about their immense expectations. Because this is a team that has done it all now with the exception of one thing, and that's win a championship. They've been to a title game twice in the last uh, five seasons. They've been to the final four multiple times. They have, they've been to the sweet 16. It's now, I think seven straight seasons, seven straight tournaments, I should say. They've had, they've had top picks. They've had five-star recruits. They've, they right now have maybe the best college basketball player in the nation and will probably be one of the guys we talk about for years to come in Drew Timmy. This is a team that has recruited. It seems like that every time you think like, oh, Gonzaga is going to take a step back, they retool and find guys who are going to be even better than the year before. You look at this roster this year, with including the pieces that are coming back, despite losing a talent like Chet Holmgren, they might be better than a year ago or better suited for the NCAA tournament than a year ago. And this, this Gonzaga team has, they can go 9-10 deep. This is a team that is not going to be is going to have enough weapons. They are going to have enough weapons this season to, I think, really match up with most any team that you can throw out there. So, yes, they lose Andrew Nebhart. They lose Chad Holmgren. And right around the time of the NBA draft, or right as uh, players had to make their final decision on if they were coming back or not, we had guys... We had guys like Julian Strother say he was going to return. Huge lift for Gonzaga. which is, But it was about what I expected. I expected Strother to come back. Rashir Bolton returns. Again, another guy not, not terribly surprised that, he, that he's making his return. The one, the biggest question that everyone had was Drew Timmy. Would Drew Timmy return to Gonzaga for, what, for another season? I say final season because technically he could also come back next season if he really wanted to. And with the rule changes on the NIL and all of that, as we saw on the 11th hour, Drew Timmy made his decision to return to Gonzaga. Which means that Gonzaga remains one of the deepest, most dangerous teams in college basketball. And because there's very little that you can point to that might be wrong with this roster. If anything, you could, if anything, like the only thing that maybe it's like, oh, they don't, maybe they don't block shots all that well because they don't have a Chet Holmgren. Fine, whatever. That's one thing. But this team now is, continues to be loaded with shooters. They added shooters, by the way. This is a team that still is one of the better, most efficient offensive teams in the country. 
their backcourt is now going to consist of two of the better defenders on the perimeter on the West Coast, if not in the nation, in both Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas. Strother and Bolton are both incredible shooters. Strother, I think, is going to have an even better year than a year ago where he was kind of like the breakout uh, star of the WCC, one of the breakout stars. Probably going to get that Jalen Williams, but um, <clears throat> Strother, Strother, I think, is going to just make another, another developmental step this season. He's going to be even better than a year ago. Rashir Bolton is going to be asked to carry a little bit more of the load, a little bit more of the leadership uh, responsibility. This team still has Anton Watson, who is your lunch pail. Just tell him what to do and he'll go and do it. You need, they, every team needs a guy like Anton Watson, who's just going to be that guy to be a, to, to, to really get down and dirty and like do all, do all the little things right to help you win. And the big addition, the two big additions. So Efton Reed, not one of the additions, the transfer from LSU. This is your this is your I need to plug the middle addition. So Efton Reed, center out of LSU. He's going to be someone who gives them a little bit more depth down low. He's going to be he let's see, looking at his numbers. So he averaged a little less than a block a game. He did start 19 games a year ago. Someone with six points, four rebounds. So this is going to be a salt. This is going to be a good addition for that Gonzaga front line. Who I think, if you're looking at an area that's like, well, maybe they're a little on the thin side defensively there uh, between Watson, Timmy, and Reed should help to kind of fill that gap a little bit more. But the one I think that is the biggest addition, and it's funny because it seems like everybody has forgotten this transfer happened, and that's Malachi Smith. Malachi Smith. <laughs> I again like how is everyone like looking at all these lists that say like oh we're what the who are the best transfers and what were the what's going to be their biggest impact blah 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 Malachi Smith was the SoCon player uh the Southern Conference player of the year last year he averaged 20 points a game and everyone has forgotten about him it seems and I don't know if that's because he's going to be he's a he's a piece rather than a key component for Gonzaga or that because it's Gonzaga, that it's being somehow it's, it's being lessened. I don't understand. I don't understand how the adding Malachi Smith while initially like everyone was like, Oh wow. Malachi Smith's going to Gonzaga in the month since it's been like, everyone has kind of forgotten <laughs> at least, at least anyone outside of Spokane has forgotten. This is a guy who dropped 36 on Murray State. This is a guy who who not only is going to give you points like this, he averaged six, almost seven rebounds last year. He averaged almost nine rebounds the year before. He's he's one of the more explosive scorers that was in the portal. He goes to Gonzaga. He could and he could end up in the starting lineup, but he's likely going to be coming off the bench. You have a 20 point score, a legit collegiate 20 point scorer who'll be coming off the bench for this team. I, that is the the crazy one to me. Like, I do not understand how that's been so glossed over. So one of the, so one of the things that I'm 
looking at as far as Gonzaga, because I think there's going to be so there are so many different storylines you can kind of go into with this team. I'm wondering when we get to March, when we get to when they play some of these really high powered teams in the non-conference, who how are the rotations going to look? Because you have a lot of combinations you can use. And and I'm thinking because like they have so many guards. Like like I could right now, like I'm just taking a look at that at their roster. Like I could run Nolan Hickman, Malachi Smith, Rashir Bolton, Julian Strother, and and Timmy. I could switch Timmy with Watson. I could switch Watson with Reed. I could I could go a little bigger. I could go a little smaller. Do I put Strother at the four? Do I put Strother at the three? Between Hickman, Salas, Bolton, and Smith, what's that rotation going to look like? What does it look like once Dominic Harris kind of re-enters the equation as he starts to get healthy? Are we how much of uh, Braden Huff are we going to see this season? We, based on how deep this team is, like there are definitely question marks about that. But this is a team that has so many different weapons, so many options that it feels like you need to take advantage of the fact that you have all these options and utilize them, utilize them all. And I don't know like if that's realistic, if that's what what makes the most sense. I don't know. What I do know, and I, as I've had some conversations with uh, with others about this, that Mark View, very much like a Randy Bennett, has usually has like a six eight person rotation at most, especially by the time we get to like late February and March. They found their rotation; those are their guys. Even if there are obviously other guys on the roster who could potentially help. Uh, they kind of like lock down to what that roster is and that rotation is. You don't see a whole lot of nine, 10 man rotations by the time we get to uh, later, later parts of the season. And I think that would be the one area where it's like, there's opportunity to kind of see at least, especially early on what some of these combinations look like, who works together, who doesn't work together. Cause it almost looks like you have like a, almost a defensive lineup and an offensive lineup. If I say like I'm gonna go defense first, like I can go Hickman, Salas, um, I'm gonna go Rashir Bolton, Strother, and Watson. If I'm going defense, like I might go there. Or then if I want to go a little, if I need to go bigger, I'll I'll slide up Strother. Probably Hickman and Salas stay, Watson, and then Efton Reed. I know I keep leaving Drew Timmy out of that equation because I'm thinking defense, like. Timmy is a great, great offensive player. If I do need more defense, I'm probably going to turn to Watson or Reed. Like, that's just the way I'm thinking about it. And and earlier in the offseason, I even talked about the idea. It was like, is this the if this team can run, if this team can be more, can be that high-octane offense where it's going to just run and gun a lot of the times. I don't know if Drew Timmy's the best fit for that style, but we know that Drew Timmy is going to be a key component to this offense. We know that that's not a question. It's just me kind of like spitballing. I'm like, this kind of makes more sense to me of like the way the rest of the roster is constructed uh, that it be a little bit more geared to players who are going to be able to run up and down the floor. Cause Drew Timmy doesn't necessarily like, I don't think of Drew Timmy in that way. 
Drew Timmy's a great, great half-court player. He's a great post player. He's a great mid-range shooter. Uh, we know he's been working on the three-point game, which obviously is like that next component that you need for for professional sports, especially at his size. Like you need to be like that stretch for whatnot. So, so there are so many possibilities for this team, and it's going to be exciting to see them get going because this might this is going to be maybe one of the more talented offensive teams in the entire run and taking a look at their schedule. This is a schedule again, like they never Gonzaga never leaves much to the imagination when it comes to that. It's like, it's, it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. And there's not a whole lot of a break in here. So again, we, the uh, first week of the season, they're going to have Michigan state. Then they go, then the following week, they have Texas, Kentucky, the following week, they do the PK 85, the following week they have Baylor. Then they the following week they have kind of at least a little bit of a reprieve, like uh, Kent State and Washington. But then they go right back into it. They're going to have Alabama. Uh, bef- and then the last week, the Christmas week, they do have a, at least a little bit of kind of like a they can breathe a little bit, like the Montanas and the Eastern Oregon's before we start conference play. And I don't. I think early on, I as as good as they have been over the years, like I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that, like, hey, let's take a look at Gonzaga's schedule. It's like, oh, well, Michigan State, Texas, Kentucky. Uh, you have the three games in the PK eighty five. You have Baylor. You have Alabama. And of those eight, like if they come out of here with three losses, I don't think that's the end of the world. I don't think that changes much of anything for for an NCAA tournament bid. I don't think that changes much of anything in the perception of what Gonzaga is. Because a lot of these teams, a lot of the teams they're going to see are, are also top 15 teams. Like a lot of these are going, are all tournament teams. They're all top 25 teams. They're there's no there's no shame in losing those games like there's no again like there's no, also no like impact for losing these games in November December because Gonzaga's going to still win their fair share of these. I think they can come out of that eight game stretch if they're 5 and 3, 6 and 2. I think that those are reasonable. If somehow they come out of all of that and they're 8 and 0 oh, like oh my god. Like this is <laughs> that would that's going to immediately tell you this this is the team that could do it. This is the team that could finally win a national championship. And just thinking about this team, just thinking about us because like that once you get into March, it's matchups. It's anything can happen in, in the tournament, and just the slightest change could impact the whole thing. So on a prediction on Gonzaga, where I think Gonzaga is going to end up. I'm not, I'm not going to do like I do with the rest of the conference teams where I'm picking where they are in the conference. Gonzaga is going to win the conference period. That's, that's done. That's a wrap. They might lose one. 
I think they could drop one game and it's probably it'll be either St. Mary's or BYU. I think more likely St. Mary's. And then for March, I'm just going to go ahead and pencil in at least the 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 floor is sweet 16. That's that's kind of a given for this squad that they at the very least will be there. And then of course, I think the the, the ceiling is they finally win it all. They finally win a national championship. The Gonzaga finally checks off the last box of everything that they've accomplished over the last 20 years. And that that is, that is the peak of what Gonzaga could do this year. What do I think Gonzaga is going to do? And maybe this is a little bit more conservative. Maybe this is just me thinking of the chaos that is the tournament. I think Gonzaga, I could think Gonzaga reaches the Elite Eight and that is where the run ends. That does not mean I don't think that they're still one of the best five teams in the country. That doesn't mean that at all. Gonzaga absolutely is still going to be one of the best five, five teams in the country. The way they run their offense, the way they play defense, the roster they've constructed, they are one of the best teams. But crazy things happen in the tournament. Crazy things end up shaking out one way or the other. And and there are a lot of really tough defensive teams that are also in this conversation. The Houstons, the Carolinas, the Baylors. Like, there's a lot of teams who are still in this conversation for who can win it all. I think that somehow the Elite Eight is probably where it will end for Gonzaga this year. I I think, again, I think they are more than capable of winning the whole thing. But where I think they're going to end up is just one game short of returning to the Final Four. All right. So now, as we kind of get, we're only a couple weeks before the season begins. So here, I wanted to kind of take a look at, I was looking at all the rosters as I've kind of gone through each of them. And I was like, all right, who can it be some of those breakout stars that we see this season? Who are some of the guys who could be really key contributors and bigger contributors than we've seen in the past that are going to have the quote breakout season? And I came up with three names that really stood out. And then a couple more that were like, maybes. So so I'm going to start, I'll start with Gonzaga and I'll start with Nolan Hickman. Nolan Hickman is going to be taking on a lot more responsibility this season. He's stepping in for Andrew Nemhard. He's stepping in to be a much larger contributor for this Gonzaga team. He's going to be that main that primary ball handler he's going he's also a really good defender i think this kind of combination of what he can do offensively and then what we're what we know he's capable of defensively is going to have nolan hickman really start to open some eyes i think he is that doesn't mean i think he's going to be like oh he's going to average 15 points a game blah 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 it's like that gonzaga team i think is too deep for that to be the case 
but there are going to be games where he's going to be the guy who drops 20. There are going to be games where he is like the lockdown defender on a key guard down the road. Nolan Hickman, because he's going to get a larger opportunity, because he's a former five-star recruit, I he I think we're going to see a big breakout year from Nolan Hickman. Another one, someone who's been around the league a little longer, who I think could have a breakout year, is Julian Rishway. USF is a team that's going to have the need an offensive boost from somewhere. Keep in mind with Jamari Bouye gone, this that does leave kind of a lot of the a key component to that offense that is now gone. And Julian Richwain has been consistently one of those offensive weapons over the last few years. Last year, he was one of the better players coming off the bench. He still was average. He still was averaging, not averaging, but like there were a number of games where he was the the guy, the leading scorer off the bench. He had twenty against Gonzaga in in the WCC tournament. Richwain is one of the better three point shooters in the league. He has come, he has been a starter. He's come off the bench. He's gone back and forth. Now I think he's going to get a greater opportunity to be that guy now that he's now that he's a little bit more seasoned. He's seen kind of what it takes to get to an NCAA tournament. This team has confidence. I think that Rich Wayne is going to be among those guys to to really kind of break out this season. And it's going to be for USF. The other one is another name that's been talked about a fair amount this off season. And that's Max Lewis at Pepperdine. Anyone who's seen the, the video from their international tour has seen uh, this massive dunk from Max Lewis. He has immense physical abilities. He has talent. He was on the, he was on the WCC All-Freshman team last year. So maybe it's not a huge surprise that Max Lewis is potentially one of those guys of a breakout year. But he also is not, he also missed quite a bit of last year due to injury. And he never really got into a rhythm. While he had really good moments a year ago, I think this is a year where if he stays healthy and can start to get into a rhythm, we could see big things out of Max Lewis this year. I think that's where we see, that's where I see his progression, him being more consistent, him getting into a rhythm, him being a, more, a larger component to this Pepperdine offense and this Pepperdine team this year than he was even a year ago. So like I, this is a guy who probably could be closer to like 15 points a game alongside Houston uh, Mallet to really kind of just be this amazing one, two, two, and this amazing one, two in Malibu. Two other guys, I think that are going to be in the conversation. I don't know if like, they're going to quite race this level yet or how I'm kind of like judging it, but the two others that stick out in my mind are going to be Brandon Pajemski at Santa Clara, who I think is a really interesting uh, prospect the transfer from Illinois, great three-point shooter, uh, was one of the more decorated high school players coming out of Wisconsin. This is a guy who could potentially come in and step right into that that offensive role, that sharpshooter role, 
for a team that's going to need it. Now you, they lose two their top two scores from a year ago, top three scores actually from a year ago. And so this is going to be a key component for Santa Clara. Pajemski's going to get a chance. He's going to have the opportunity to be that guy early. And he potentially is one one of the guys. Like again, kind of like this next tier, not quite with those top three, but I think like he's in he could be that in that conversation as we go along. Then the other one for me is Mitchell Saxon at St. Mary's. Mitchell Saxon is also stepping into a much larger role. Uh, Matthias Toss uh, was had his final season last year, and so he's gone pro. So it's going to give Saxon a huge opportunity to do more. We've already seen what he can do defensively. He's a great defender. He moves his feet well, takes up a lot of space. He's versatile, can go out on the perimeter and also defend inside. It's what can he do offensively, I think, is going to be the key. Randy Bennett's offenses have almost always ran a good chunk of their offense through the center position. Look over the years, whether it be the Omar Samhans, the Brad Waldos, the Jock Landales, the Matthias Tosses, the offenses are keyed upon just on that point guard center relationship, that pick and roll offense, and even just like having good passers out of the post. So Mitchell Sachs, Mitchell Saxon is going to have, I think, a larger role to play, much larger role to play this season. Not, a, I think he is going to have a much larger role to play. And everything I've seen in the preseason, some of the film, like their ship in Australia, he looks ready. He looks, he looks like he's ready to take on that responsibility. He looks, he looks the part. Uh, I again, I don't know if he quite raises to the same level as like the the first three I mentioned, but I think that that we can definitely have that conversation with Saxon. Now, if you're wondering why didn't I include the Houston Mallets, the Fustra Ories, or some of these others in on this list, that's because I think th those types of players are already established. I don't see them as a quote breakout star because they already did break out. Julian Strother would also kind of be amongst that, those players where we saw it last year. We saw how good they could be a year ago. So them making the next step is not going to be a huge surprise if we see it again this season. So as we kind of like get through all this, all the season previews are done. All of the, all the prognostications are starting to wrap up with the last two weeks of, of the off season coming to a close. It's getting exciting. It's it's really fun to see all of the teams start to really rev up. We're starting to see the midnight madness celebrations. We're starting to see like all the like the preseason, the preseason accolades and everything else. And this is a fun time of year. This is one of my more favorite times of year. Like again, I'm also like a big baseball fan. So having this crossover between going for like I get to see baseball players go right into college basketball. This is a great one of my favorite times you're outside, probably March, where it's actually the other way around, where it's March Madness goes right into into the baseball season. And this is a fun time of year. I'm excited to see where these teams land. Again, like we'll I'll do a full kind of overview of where we are next week, doing fi final rankings and all that sort of stuff. And it's almost here. Basketball is finally almost here. Uh, so with that, um, we will. I'll get out of here. 
Uh, be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming service. Be sure to uh, subscribe on YouTube, unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Post by Zach. And until next week or until next time, I will catch you later.